I'm Dr. John Berkey. This is Forward to the Future, Conversations in Superintendent Leadership. This is season two, which features insightful interviews on leadership with the retiring superintendents in the Large Unit District Association in Illinois. It's an opportunity to learn from educational leaders as they look back on their careers. So welcome to another edition of Forward to the Future, Conversations in Superintendent Leadership. And today, we would like to welcome Dr. Barry Riley, who is the superintendent of the Bloomington School District in Illinois. And Dr. Riley, welcome to uh, the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me, John. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, when did you get into education? Or really, why did you get into education? And how did you... Uh, uh, end up being a superintendent. I know you've been in Bloomington your your whole career and a, a superintendent for quite a long time. Yeah, I my it, it, my timeline goes back to uh, I had a coach and a teacher in high school that was a big influence on me. He was my baseball coach. He was a driver's ed teacher, um, but just a guy who motivated. And as I was in high school, you know, he was my role model. That's the guy who I looked to as uh, someone who, um, you know, I aspired to be like. Now, I didn't think I would be, end up being a teacher, uh, but when I got to college, um, that was the path that I started to uh, gravitate toward. I wanted to be a coach uh, as well, and so went that route. Um, graduated in 1989. Uh, in the spring of 88, I was a student teacher at Bloomington High School, um, which is the same district that I'm in now. And then my career path um, really took off from there within the district. Um, got hired on in the fall of 90 as a health education teacher, um, taught a little bit of PE, coached three sports. I coached cross country, uh, baseball and wrestling. Did that for about five years uh, total with all three. And then I um, thought that maybe I wanted to go down a path of being an athletic director. I was coaching cross country with our cross country. The head coach was also our athletic director, a great guy, John Zabo, who I learned a ton from um, and really thought that I wanted to go down that path. So I served as um, an assistant athletic director for a couple of years um, before I became an assistant principal at Bloomington High School. And then I became principal, uh, did that for four short years, which was not a long time, uh, but had a great time. Uh, spent 13 years total at the high school, loved it. Um, built relationships with people, um, just loved the life of a high school, the activities that go on, watching kids come through and grow into, you know, squirrely kids coming in and then young adults by the time they leave, it was just a fun, uh, place to be. And then I became an assistant superintendent of human resources um, and finally superintendent of schools. I never would have dreamed that uh, I would have been a superintendent back when I was starting out. That never was in the cards for me. I never thought of that at all. It always was somebody kind of tapping you on the shoulder and seeing something in you along the way that kind of pushed you in that direction. And so I had people that did that um, along my, my career. I had uh, not John, but the prior athletic director, Terry McCombs, who was also our football coach, kind of guided me to get my administrative degree. 
John was a big influence. Robert Elliott, who was the principal of the school at that time, was one who hired me as an assistant principal, big influence. Bob Nielsen, who was the superintendent, kind of got me uh, hired as the principal. And then as an assistant superintendent, it helped me to the path of superintendent. So it was, uh, I was very fortunate to walk that path in the same district. That's not super common, but um, it's been a great place for me to be for uh, my entire career. Well, 12 years as superintendent is quite an accomplishment, especially in the same, uh, in the same place. So, so, you know, one of the things we want to do is, is talk about some of the things that you've learned as a, as a superintendent leadership lessons that you can impart to, to others. And I think you have three main ones you want to impart. You want to tell us about, uh, start with the first one. Sure. And I don't think these are earth shattering for people. I just think some, sometimes it's just, we might know it, but we have to really work sometimes to practice it. Obviously, communication is a key component to being a, a superintendent who's going to be successful. Um, obviously, that communication with your board of education is, has to be a priority. Um, sometimes it's just figuring out what they need to be fed, how much, how often, what kind of information they need. Uh, but also with your administrative team and staff, for those of us in, in the large unit districts, that is a, is a constant and making sure that um, people have uh, the type of communication that's going to keep them in the loop on things that they need to be aware of. Um, and never, um, you know, getting off of that path, because that's the thing I've learned that uh, whenever I run into uh, any struggle, it typically comes back to, I probably didn't communicate well enough in the beginning. And so that definitely is one of the most important things that uh, people need to be aware of when they step into any leadership role, obviously, but superintendents for sure. Then I think another big issue that um, some don't pay close enough attention to is who they hire. Uh, you know, who you who you are putting in leadership roles, in particular, and and you know, for me, it was hiring high quality assistant superintendents, uh, building principals, because if you do that well, then your life as a superintendent is going to be that much better. If you don't, for those who you don't hire well, you are going to be spending a lot of time with those individuals. And, and I have not always done that well. I think those of us who have been around for a long time can point to uh, places where we haven't always hired well. Some of that might just be to a lack of, um, you know, the talent pool, but sometimes it's just, we just didn't make the right decision. And I've, I've had that happen in my career and it uh, really diverts your time. But when you do hire well, it's important to, the third thing is to give those individuals the opportunity to do their jobs, um, you know, and provide the right amount of coaching, uh, but give them the ability to make decisions. Sometimes that's affording them the opportunity to make mistakes. Uh, you don't want to let them make grave mistakes, but uh, small ones so that they can learn and and move forward and, and not always have to rely on you for the answers. Uh, that helps them grow and it will help move them into possible other leadership positions down the road. And so when I look at life as a superintendent, those are my three big priorities, communication, hiring, and then getting out of their way and letting them do the jobs. Um, it's, it's really helped me be successful and it's really what I learned from those before me. 
So if I could ask a follow-up, and you're very right, those three things we all know, and yet there's many that don't do all those well. And so it, it, it's, easier to, it's easier to say those are important, but you're right to actually put those into practice. Let's talk about hiring for a second. How, what strategies did you employ to make sure you were getting the right people ultimately on your team? Well, one of the things that I like to do is I like to provide candidates. Let's take, say it's a principal or an assistant superintendent position. Um, there's multiple stages to that interview process. One is um, going to be a screening, you know, just to whittle the candidates down. But we'll give them, these candidates, uh, some tasks to do ahead of the interview. And it, it might be a, if it's a chief financial officer, it might be, I want you to take our budget and, and, and I'm not going to give you anything. You just go out and get the information. You provide to me where you see our challenges and strengths and what you might do in that position moving forward. That gives them a wide range of things that they can do and come in with. And it um, will give them several days to be able to do that. And, and come in with um, a presentation on how they would handle that. A building principle, it might be, I want you to uh, create your schedule for um, the first three institute days. And I want you to walk us through what that's going to look like. And I won't do that necessarily at the um, interview. It will be beforehand. So they, it, it gives them an opportunity to do some research, to think through things, um, and it gives you an opportunity to see how they plan. Um, and also when they come in, you wanna have some um, scenarios where you make them think on their feet because they're going to have to do that, certainly in those type of leadership positions. But I always like to see how they think when it comes to opportunities to plan uh, because they also get that. There's always the little fires they gotta put out each and every day. But I want to see how they think through a planning process. So I, I like to give um, some written homework for them to, to come up with that. And it's interesting because, you know, I, I did that with our uh, most recent hiring of a principal position and the type of activities that we did, if, if the person would reach out to the existing uh, principal who is retiring, that uh, could give them some good information. We had maybe two candidates that did and the rest of them did not. And, uh, you know, it, it says something to take initiative and do those types of types of things to gather the best information you can, especially when you've got time, because a lot of the decisions we make, you do have time to make them. Um, some, obviously you got to think on your feet, but I always like the opportunities to let them demonstrate how well they can plan as opposed to just, bringing them in for an interview and seeing how they think on their feet. Yeah. So let me ask you, uh, one of the, obviously there are a lot of challenging situations come forward when you're a superintendent. Uh, what, what's one that stands out to you that was a particularly challenging situation that you had to deal with in your career and how, how'd you handle it? Well, the biggest one that we had was not, and, and leading up to becoming superintendent, this was something we were struggling with as well. And, um, and it was, it related to students in our community. We've got a low-income population that's over half of our students are coming from low-income households. We were beginning to transition to a one-to-one -one district. And we, we were really concerned about 
kids having a level playing field out in the community, especially at the secondary level when we're one-to-ones, grades six through 12. And some kids are going home to high-speed internet access and others were not. And how could we help kids overcome that um, given that there's a cost attached to providing that? And, and there were some services out there. You had cable companies that ran um, deals for low-income populations, but if they didn't pay their bills, then that was going to get shut off. So we really wanted to find a way to make that part of the curriculum. In other words, we're handing them a tool and a laptop, a device to go home, but we wanted to make sure that every kid had equal access to the internet, to the highways, to get all access to the information, whether that was coming from teachers or uh, research that they were doing on their own. So we uh, looked at our footprint. Fortunately, I'm 10 square miles in the city limits of Bloomington. I don't have to deal with rural areas. Uh, and Frontier was the uh, communication service that had a really good footprint. So we started working with them and figured out a way to uh, provide internet access in the homes of kids um, at our cost. And we built that, we were able to build that in uh, using some grants to begin with, um, some business donations to begin with and then uh, gradually build that into our uh, fixed costs that we would have moving forward in our curriculum. We just thought that was um, such a big deal. So it, was a, it took us a couple of years to kind of work through that. And if you fast forward to the last couple of years when the pandemic hit where everybody was now moving in that direction and we had some you know, ESSER funds that helped all districts uh, maybe do this, those that needed it, we were already there and we didn't have to do it. Um, so that was one, uh, that was probably the biggest challenge we, challenge we faced um, in my 12 years as superintendent, save for the pandemic, um, right. that I look at. And, and I was really um, proud because when you looked across the country, there really wasn't anybody who was doing that. And, um, you know, people were, throwing buses out into the community that had Wi-Fi and kids were having to go to coffee shops, public libraries, but we took care of it. And um, we probably serviced about a thousand kids out of our population of 5,500. Um, now, you know, only half of those um, were the secondary kids. We weren't doing that for our um, elementary because we weren't sending those devices home. Um, but it was a unique thing at the time. And, um, you know, we've continued that moving forward. We've moved to hot spots now, but um, it's been it's been something that um, has really helped the district um, over those courses of years. Well, and as you said, it, it really set you up well for the pandemic when that came out of nowhere to have that infrastructure already in place for for kids was uh, it was incredibly helpful. So you mentioned um, during that that you're you have a large you know free and reduced lunch population and uh, uh, also know you have a very diverse population. Uh, talk a little bit about equity and some of the work that you've uh, been able to lead in Bloomington and any of the successes that you've you've had. Well, really, what I've just described is probably our biggest success when it comes to equity. I think many think of equity as diversity and inclusion and those types of efforts. And those are important and, and, and they're really important to us. I mean, we actually pride ourselves on that um, by at least one measure, we're the third most diverse district in the state. And that kind of 
makes people, at least in this community, take a step back and say, really, wow, that we didn't realize that with Bloomington, that that's pretty amazing. We've always provided our, uh, we, we've always thought of ourselves as, um, prided ourselves on that, I should say. Um, but our biggest diversity comes from socioeconomic diversity. And so things that we can do to um, make sure that kids are well taken care of in a lot of ways is, is really important to us. So we started programs that uh, you know, send backpacks of food home with kids. And we've been doing that for years. We've done the um, internet access for kids uh, long before others were doing that. Those two efforts, I think, I, I don't think the backpack program is unique. I think there are others that are, are doing that, but we, those are things to try to get the level playing field beyond that. Um, we do a lot of work uh, training our staff uh, restorative practices has been something that we've, we've really worked hard at in the last probably five years or so, um, building a diverse um, teaching staff, which is a very difficult thing to do, I've, make our administrative team look like our students. All of those efforts have been um, done leading up to, before we even started, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts on a um, very consistent and purposeful basis. We've been doing that for now a couple of years um, and probably as others have seen, it, it, it is not met with open arms with everyone in the community, um, but those efforts uh, continue. And I think what's really helped make it work well in our case is we've got board members involved. We have administrators, teachers, members of the community, students, um, leading some of those efforts, especially when it comes to restorative practices. Um, and those, um, those will continue. They're always a work in progress. I don't think we're ever going to get to a place where we're 100% satisfied with everything, but um, certainly we're working towards that. Oh, thank you. So when you look back on your career, um, and, and obviously I think the um, the, the getting all your kids connected to the internet was a great accomplishment. But when you look back on your career, what is one thing that stands out that uh, you're most proud of? I would say um, our, we, we built a band room addition onto our high school several years ago. Um, and we did that without increasing the tax rate in the community. It was uh, pretty amazing. And, and along with it, we were able to put field turf on our multi-purpose field that serves our football team, our uh, soccer teams, both boys and girls, and, and we're landlocked. We don't have a lot of green space. Uh, so for a district like ours, that was really important. And being able to do those things uh, without increasing the tax rate uh, was something that I look back and I'm, I'm really proud of, that, that our board was able to do that. The community bought in. It was not something that was met with any negative feedback at all. Um, but what drove it, uh, what I'm really proud of, is we, we moved our fifth grade band and orchestra programs um, out of our elementary schools and into our junior high. So like I said, we're just 10 square miles. Uh, this was an idea that came from our band and orchestra instructors. They were teaching kids in closets and you know, just they didn't have big groups that could get together very often. So they came with this idea to bus our uh, fifth grade students to the junior high 
an, an hour before their uh, elementary day started. So we listened to this and we thought, that's an interesting idea. And how can we make it work? And we can put fifth grade kids on the buses and uh, they get instruction in big groups and small groups every single day. Um, it's at the same time the junior high day starts and then we bust them back to their elementary school in time for the start of their day. Well, it was such a great idea that more kids got involved in those programs. They more than doubled over time, over the next several years. And so we realized we've got a big problem. When these kids get to the high school, the spaces we have available are not conducive to the size that we're going to see. So we started looking at options and we landed on building an addition uh, onto the high school for the band. It's about the size of a basketball court, a beautiful state-of-the-art facility. We remodeled the existing band room, put the orchestra in there, a state-of-the-art facility for them. And then we um, remodeled the existing orchestra room for a state-of-the-art uh, facility for our choirs. And all of those programs grew over that time. And, and I've seen what they do for kids um, in a very positive way. So I'm, I'm extremely proud of that. Um, and, and it really wasn't anything that we just fed the idea that was brought to us. So I don't take credit for it. It really was the um, teachers that came to us with this idea. And we were just able to be smart enough to listen and help make it happen. And uh, that has been um, a great thing for our district. We're, we're known as a district that has a very strong fine arts program and we support that strongly. And so that's something when I uh, look back, I'm really pleased with, especially for a guy who was a coach and was all about athletics coming in, uh, leaving with a mark on the fine arts is something that was really important and special for me. Oh, that's phenomenal. And I uh, had the, the good opportunity a couple of years ago to, to see those new band and uh, the new band room. And it was, uh, it's a, it's a phenomenal facility. So you did, uh, you did do a great job with that. So, well, we've spent a lot of time talking about you. And one of the things that I think all good leaders do is they look to other people and get inspiration from other leaders, whether it's, you know, somebody who's a national figure or a historical figure, maybe somebody that they even, you know, uh, no, personally, who is somebody that um, that you've really looked to and gotten inspiration from? I've had so many over time that have been um, a good influence on me. Um, obviously, there's historical figures you look to. You think of like Martin Luther King. You think of um, Abraham Lincoln. And then there's the entrepreneurs. Like um, you may not like everything about them, but there are certain things that you see, like an Elon Musk, a Bill Gates. Um, Steve Jobs. I mean, these people did great things throughout uh, time and some are current and some are not. But locally, um, you know, my boss, Bob Nielsen, who was a superintendent before me, was a big influence. And then I look at several of the presidents that served in our colleges here. Um, Al Bowman was the president of ISU, was someone who I got to uh, look up to and learn from. Dick Wilson was at Wesleyan and Larry Dietz at ISU. Um, and Larry in particular, I got to spend uh, a lot of time with probably the last six years and really learn from him. He was instrumental, just to give you an example. Uh, I'd watch him and how he would interact with legislators, which, you know, as you know, is really important in our roles 
to make sure that we're really um, working with our local legislators well. And I would always get frustrated. And I was, I'm one of these guys who probably wears his emotions on his sleeve more than I should. And watching how he would not only interact with them, but how he would talk about Springfield. And um, he would always be thankful for what their, the legislators here did for him. And behind the scenes, he might be you know, arguing, debating vehemently, but in the public, he was very complimentary, positive. And I took that as a learning thing for me because I wasn't always that way. And, and I, I changed how I would interact with them. And Larry did so many other good things for um, ISU. And I, I, I felt very thankful that I was able to spend time. We'd have breakfast together. Um, and, and that's not something you get everywhere is, uh, you know, the large university uh, president taking time to spend with um, us as local education leaders. I, I was very thankful for Now that continues with the new president. I, and I think she's great. I just haven't had a lot of time to interact with her. But um, Larry in particular was one of those guys who made a big difference. And so was Bob Nielsen. Bob um, was my mentor, um, really helped get me uh, ready for this role. And, and I'm very thankful for the opportunities I had to spend with both of those guys. Oh, so, sounds like you know, great, great examples of people you've had to work around. And uh, well, we've been uh, talking with uh, Dr. Barry Riley, the superintendent of Bloomington. And uh, I really want to thank you, Barry, for spending time with us today. And uh, just again, want to congratulate you on a, on a great career all in the same district and 12 years as a superintendent in the same in the same job, a, a great accomplishment. And we uh, wish you the best as you uh, move into retirement. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be a part of LUDA and uh, just a great organization that has helped me along the way. So thank you, Jim. Appreciate it.